Well, you know, lately, God has been impressing me that he's still in the business of doing extraordinary things. He does things that we cannot do on our own. He does things that we can't even fathom in our own minds. And there's a statement that's been on my mind that you've heard many times before, with God, all things are possible. And that comes from words from a statement that Jesus made to a crowd of his followers in Matthew 19, 26, where he said these words, Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but with God, everything is possible. Now, if you think about it, that is the underlying presupposition of the entire Christian faith. We believe that God is a sovereign God, that he has the power and the ability to do anything, and yet more and more, sadly, I see this fatalistic attitude within the church in America. It's an unfortunate mindset whereby many of Christ's followers don't necessarily believe this statement fully. It's like we've allowed the sorry condition of our world and all the craziness that is going on within our world to hamper our faith. And instead of looking to God to continue doing great things, it seems that we've become satisfied with where we're at. We're just holding on to what we have. It's as if the world's negative way of thinking has somehow slipped its way into the church and our expectations of what God can do is at an all-time low. But this morning I have come to remind you that God is still on the throne. He is still capable of doing uh, the unexpected and the extraordinary, even today, just like he has done throughout history and just like he will and wants to continue to do in the future. He is just looking for people who will believe him, who will have the courage and, and yes, the audacity to ask him to do something great within their lives. You see, the Bible is chock full of miracles. And that's one of the most important reasons for reading it because it reminds us of God's faithfulness. It reminds us of God's power. In Genesis, it begins with the phrase, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's a miracle. And when you look at the beauty and the grandeur of this world in which we live, the intricate ecological system and its flawless order, When you look at the vastness of outer space and how the planets, including Earth, spin perfectly on their axis, it's all a miracle. And how anyone could conceive of a Big Bang theory, well, it's just unconscionable to me. And we see it throughout the Old Testament as God continued to do amazing, miraculous, extraordinary things. We see the children of Israel who were who were enslaved for hundreds of years in Egypt, the most powerful nation on the face of the earth at that time. And millions of them, they walked out of Egypt without one battle being fought. How does that happen? That's miraculous. We see three young Hebrew men thrown into a fiery furnace. The furnace, the Bible says, was so hot that it kills the soldiers who tossed them in to the fire. And as people watched, they actually could see the outline of four individuals in that fire. They had a heavenly visitor while they were there. And these three young men not only came out unscathed, but the Bible says without even the smell of smoke on their clothing. We see Daniel thrown into a a den of hungry lions. He spends the entire night with them sleeping like a baby. And he comes out the next morning without a scratch on him. We see how God wreaked all kinds of havoc on the battlefield as vast armies that far outnumbered the Israelites were destroyed. And God has done amazing things. And that is the message throughout the Old Testament. All things are possible with God. But it doesn't stop there. Fast forward to the New Testament. 
And the first thing that you will see is a star over a manger in Bethlehem and a savior is born. Jesus' arrival will change the world. He will change your life and my life. He will change our eternity. He will heal the sick. He will raise the dead. He will bring sight to the blind. He will teach astonishing things and people's lives will be transformed. We see the day of Pentecost with the arrival of the Holy Spirit. It's a day when the power of God became available to all mankind to provide us with the ability to go out and to do what Jesus asked us to do. And this day is what launches the early New Testament church where signs and wonders happened and people stood in in awe at the power of God. We see a man named Saul who was a persecutor of the early church. And he has an experience with the resurrected savior on the road to Damascus. And then that experience, God momentarily blinds him, but he gives him a new name and he gives him a new mission. And now Paul goes out, Saul, now called Paul, goes out and becomes a one-man all-star for the cause of Jesus Christ, the very one he had persecuted. And it's a miracle that can only come from God. Ladies and gentlemen, that is just a, a, a small smattering of the wonderful, incredible, miraculous things that God has done. You see, fundamental to the whole notion of the Christian faith is that with God, all things are possible. But listen to me carefully. There is a a huge difference in just simply accepting that as a theological premise and yet proving it to be true in your own personal life. If I said to you this morning, true or false, how many of you believe that God can do all things? I am certain that all of you would say true. You'd say amen. However, if I said to you, how many of you are willing to take great steps of faith outside of your own personal comfort zone? How many of you are willing to go way out on the limb in order to prove the supernatural power of God in your life, well, I'm sure not all of you would answer with as much veracity as in my first question. And so this morning, I feel led to speak to you from my heart. Not that I don't speak to you from my heart all the time. This one's gonna be a little bit more personal. This isn't going to be a three-point sermon. And because of that, the PowerPoint will be limited as well. Because I want to address my concern that too many Christ followers are simply playing it safe. We're holding on tightly to our salvation, which is a good thing, but when our focus is simply maintaining the status quo, unfortunately, opportunities for greater things are simply passing you by, one right after another. We've become so self-focused and yes, We've even become so fearful of the things that are going on around us that we're doing a really good job at isolating ourselves. We we just aren't walking in the abundance that Jesus has made available to us. We're just kind of content in knowing that we're saved and laying low and being unnoticed. And let me just say something. When you are content in your walk with Jesus, you've simply decided to stop growing because with God, there are no ceilings on spiritual growth. You do not know all that you can know. You have not experienced all that you can experience. You will know and experience that which you want to know and experience. You know, shortly after I surrendered my life to Christ, I knew that I had to make some important decisions. And one of them was, I didn't quite know how to frame my future. I I didn't know if I was going to be one of those people who just kind of threw up my hands, believing that, well, things are just the way that they are. I think you know what I mean. Being sort of a, a fatalistic person, carrying around a sort of gloom and doom mentality about the future. 
Or would I predicate my future and my life based upon the belief that there is a supernatural God out there who loves me, who I am in a personal relationship with, and who has the ability to to lead, to guide, and to empower my life in supernatural ways. So there was this bridge of faith that I needed to cross. And I had to cross, and so I read my, as I read my Bible, I read a story about King David. Now, David had always been kind of a hero to me, and that goes back to my Sunday school days when I hear about him slaying a giant with nothing more than a slingshot. And I like David. First of all, he was, I'm named after him, so that was a great connection there. But I loved his courage. But now as I read about him as an adult, With an adult mindset, I learned that he was a real Renaissance man. He was a warrior. He was a musician. He was a poet. He was a politician and a statesman. He was an economic expert, and he had a huge love for the Lord. In fact, he's given the wonderful title, A Man After God's Own Heart. But you may also know that David made a terrible mistake at one point in his life. He committed adultery with a woman named Bathsheba and she became pregnant. And then to compound his sin, he had her, her husband murdered on the battlefield in order to hide his sin. And then he took Bathsheba into the, to the palace to become one of his wives. Well, God disciplined David for both this act of adultery and the sin of murder. And one of the ways he disciplined David was revealing to him that this newborn son that was conceived with Bathsheba would not live. He would get sick and he would die. David heard that news and he understood that it was because of his sin Well, the Bible teaches us that that David laid down flat on the floor of the palace and, and he didn't eat and he didn't drink and he didn't shave and he didn't change his clothes and he wept and he fasted and he prayed to the Lord for seven days. And all of his aides gathered around him wondering what was going on and they're concerned for their king. Meanwhile, the child is getting weaker and weaker, and David just stays face down 24 hours a day. And eventually, as God said, the child died. Some of David's aides, they get together and they say, he's in such bad shape. If we tell him that the child is dead, it just might destroy him. But they realized they had to tell him this news sooner or later. So one of them timidly goes in before the king and says, King David, he's dead. The baby has died. In 1 Samuel 12, 20, the New Living Translation says this, then David got up from the ground, washed himself, put on lotions and changed his clothes. He went up to the tabernacle and worshiped the Lord. After that, he returned to the palace and was served food and ate. So David comes back to the palace and he starts going about his daily business. And quite frankly, his aides are, are, are perplexed. First Samuel 12, 21, one of them says to the king, while the child was still living, you wept and refused to eat. But now that the child is dead, you've stopped your mourning and you are eating again. He says, you were lying on the floor and we were concerned for you. And now that you've received this horrible news, you get up and you act like nothing's happened. What is up with that? And here's David's response. And and this is a phrase that should have great importance for every one of us. And it is the title, there's a word in there that is the title of my message today, 2 Samuel 12, 22. David replied, I fasted and wept while the child was alive. For I said, perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me and let the child live. And this morning, I wanna focus on that word within that scripture, the word perhaps. Perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me. You see, David knew that God had pronounced judgment upon his child as a result of his own sin. But here's David 
lying face down saying, while there is still a breath left in me, if there's still lung, air in my lungs, I am going to pray for this child. Perhaps God may be gracious. God might do a miracle. God might change his mind, perhaps. But I gotta lean into hope. And I've gotta lean into faith. And I've gotta lean into the possibility that God's power will be brought to bear in this situation. And so when the child dies, David says this in 2 Samuel 12, 23, but why should I fast when he is dead? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him one day, but he cannot return to me. Now this most unfortunate story is a powerful example, I believe, for us to live by. Because instead of living life by thinking of all the worst case scenarios that we as human beings are, we excel at doing, in essence, David chose to take on the mindset that he was going to orient his mind towards the best case scenario. You see folks, there is hope in every situation even though we can't always see it on the future. In David's case, God had made it clear that his son would die, and yet he still held out hope that perhaps things might happen differently. And I've learned to try to live my life that way as best as I can by taking on that same kind of a mindset with regard to anything that comes my way or to my family. Perhaps God might do something extraordinary, something supernatural, perhaps something beyond my own ability and limits and understanding. And by faith, I'm going to find out. Some years after I committed my life to Christ, I was involved in my church. I was leading a small group Bible study and I was playing drums in our worship band. At that time, I was an owner of a small business and I was investing my time there for my family's future. And it was then when I received a call from the Lord to go into full-time Christian ministry. And along with that was an unmistakable nudge from the Holy Spirit that I needed to sell my business. I remember when that leading came, thinking to myself, wait a minute, God. Things are just starting to get really good for us. I mean, if I answer this call, there goes my freedom. There goes my money, there goes the travel, there goes the motorcycle, there goes all of the action that comes from owning a business. There are so many things that are important to me that I have worked so hard for, and now I'm gonna wind up in some church where I'm gonna have to do pastoral stuff. God, that's not at all how I am wired. And I'm starting to think about all of these worst case scenarios and God impresses upon me. You just wait a minute. What did you learn from the life of King David? And of course that caught my attention. And so I tried to take on David's mindset. Perhaps the Lord may be gracious to me in this calling upon my life. Perhaps the adventure that he has taken me on might be better than the one that I've created for myself. Perhaps the doors that God is going to open that I know nothing currently of might be better than the doors that I've been walking through and I know so very well. Perhaps the people that I meet on this, this journey and the people that I grow to love might become dearer to me than the people that I already know. Perhaps God might use my life to a greater degree somewhere else than where he has me in this current situation. Perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me, but I've got to find out. I got to lean into hope. I've got to lean into faith. I've got to lean into trust and not just default into that fearful mindset where all the worst case scenarios tend to come and go from. I remember right where I was when I rationalized all of this and came to the conclusion 
that I needed to answer God's call. But I'm keeping all this to myself until one day when misperception down here, who, who can read me like a book, she asked me, what's going on in that head of yours? Because she knew that I was dealing with something. And I tearfully began to tell her about what God was asking of me and all the good, the bad, and the ugly, and my fears, and my, my dreams, and all of this. And I'm worrying that she's going to say, hey, man, I didn't buy into this. I married a business owner. I did not marry a pastor. You need to move on. But she didn't. That wasn't her response at all. She made it so difficult. She said, if that's what God is calling you to do, then you need to do it. And you need to do it now. And thus started our road in the ministry, blinded because we had not a clue what it meant. I went to Bible college. I worked in my business in the evenings, and believe it or not, I got really good grades. I graduated magna cum laude. And during that time, I was working on selling my half of the business to my partner because I knew myself well enough to know that if things didn't develop quickly the way that I wanted them to in ministry, that I'd go back to it. But that isn't what God asked me to do. God asked me to leave the business world, so I sell my business. We have our daughter, Brooke. I graduate from Bible college just a couple weeks after that, and all of a sudden, I am 30 days away from being unemployed with no health insurance for my family and a brand new baby. And I remember having a very stern conversation with the Lord. Actually, it was more like a tantrum from a worried child. And I said, God, I did what you asked of me. I was obedient. I worked hard at it. I gave it my best shot. And now you're going to leave me just hanging with no income, with no insurance or a place to minister. And within days of my rant with the Lord, I received a call from Phoenix First Assembly to be on staff there. Let me tell you what a miracle that was. That at the time was the largest Assemblies of God church in our denomination. And after I worked there, I was, one of my jobs was the human resource director. And I came to realize after I got hired that hundreds of resumes came into that church every single month. And they came from people with far more experience than I, with great pedigree, all wanting to work for Pastor Tommy Barnett why in their right mind, with all of these resources and all of these well-qualified people, would they choose a guy like me? A guy who found salvation later in his life, who just graduated from Bible college with absolutely no experience at all. It doesn't make sense. But I have come to learn that that's just the way God operates. Now, my first positions at Phoenix First Assembly were not ministerial. They were administrative. It seems that they were more interested in my business acumen than my ministerial abilities. And sometimes I think the board thinks the same thing. No. <laughs> and I remember praying, God, you didn't call me into business administration. You called me into ministry. Please open a door so that I can walk through it. And one day after lunch, I was called into the office and I was asked to start a young adult ministry at Phoenix First Assembly. And that was probably one of the happiest days of my life. But then after the joy subsided, reality set in. Because I realized that this was in addition to my current job responsibilities. I was just given more work. No raise, just start a ministry and do the 90,000 other things that you're supposed to do. And I started to understand how much preparation that it took teaching these young adults. I'm not a big bookworm, and I don't especially enjoy doing research. I don't like being pinned down and having to read lots of things and write and do intense levels of studying. But while all this is going on, I remember the words of David, perhaps. Instead, of, again, of thinking of all worst-case scenarios and the difficulties that I might face, I began to believe God's calling upon my life and what he had prepared me for. And so I started putting messages together and God started moving in that group of young adults and God was true to his promise. Good things happened. 
Lives were changed. Young people were were brought into a faith relationship with Jesus Christ, and the ministry grew. And today, many of those young adults, they're not young adults anymore, they're, they're, they're family people. They're serving in that church and other churches down in the Phoenix area, and they still communicate with me. It's an awesome thing. But I need to be really clear about something. No matter who benefited from my teaching, nobody benefited more than me teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, God knew something about me, and that's I have a very active and a very wandering kind of a mind. God knew that I needed the discipline of being in the Bible on a regular basis with a mission in mind. He knew I needed the discipline of research and reading, of reading commentaries, of doing background reading, of praying and writing in order to develop me. God knew all this. He was being gracious to me, putting me in a place where I was required to do it. You see, every time that I have leaned into the best case scenario, I've said to myself, this is how I want to live. This is the kind of faith that I want to see manifested in my life. And I was reminded of how David prayed for his son. He was leaning into faith. He was leaning into hope. And he was saying, perhaps God might be gracious to me. Well, we know that David's son died, and I can only imagine how heartbreaking that must have been. But I am certain that if you could talk to David, and maybe one day when you go to heaven, you will, he would say that he'd do it all over again. He would take the same approach. Because when you think about it, ladies and gentlemen, what is the alternative to a life of faith? Well, I'll tell you what it is. It is darkness and despair and hopelessness and fatalism. And if you want to live your life that way, you can go ahead and do so. But as for me, I do not want to spend another day of my life cranking out worst case scenarios. I don't want to spend another hour of my thinking that that maybe God has lost his stuff. That God can't intervene in something in, a, in an extraordinary way in my life or in my church or in my family. I don't want another day passing by where I'm playing it close to the vest, where I'm playing it safe. I don't want to live that way. And as my church family, I don't want you living that way either because even if God chooses not to step in supernaturally, I will still be glad that I held on to and took the course of faith because it is a much better way to live. So by me answering the call on my life to go into ministry, has it always been a bowl of cherries? No. Like anything else, there there are challenges that come with it. And in different seasons over the years, I've had some disappointments and I've had some discouragement. Times where they were very difficult to deal with. There have been times when I've wanted to bail out of ministry more than you would know to go back into the business world. I've been, there have been times when I have been frustrated with, with people's willingness to get involved and serve when they're desperately needed and yet they choose to turn away from the need. I've been discouraged when I teach the truth and even spend personal one-on-one time with people pouring into their lives through discipleship, and they refuse to apply the truth to their lives. And because of it, you start to see things unravel, and pretty soon they're gone. I've been frustrated with church members who have a hard time seeing the bigger picture, who have a real negative feeling towards a growing church. They want it the way it was. We want it small, us four and no more. We can't have that mindset anymore. And people not being concerned about the lost in our families, in our workplace, in our communities, outside of this place, those who are outside looking in. I've been deeply saddened when actions that I've taken have been misunderstood or been misrepresented. And all those things build up and just about the time you wonder if it's worth it all, I go back to that word that David spoke. Perhaps, perhaps God will do something next week that will literally blow my mind. Perhaps this situation will turn around and become a great testimony to God's faithfulness 
And I want to encourage you this morning to take this same approach in your personal life. When you're discouraged, dwell upon that word. Perhaps, perhaps a week from now, my deepest prayer might be answered. Perhaps God just might provide me with that promotion that I want so badly. Perhaps months from now, God will intervene and solve this problem that is literally tearing my heart up inside. Perhaps a year from now, the loved one that I've been praying for for so many years might just get saved. Perhaps God might relieve this pressure that I'm dealing with. Perhaps my act of obediently following what God has called me to do might turn out to be the greatest experience of my life. And I want to encourage you this morning to keep leaning into faith and don't default into those worst case scenarios, the hopeless side of things. Because once you start defaulting and living that way, it's an endless spiral down into the abyss. So hang in there because perhaps the Lord will be gracious to you. You see, in the life of a Christian, the word perhaps always has faith attached to it. We don't say it as though it's a mystery to us. We say it because we know God is up to something. We just don't know specifically what he's up to. But you can be guaranteed that whatever God does, it will be special. And it will change your life. And at the same time, it will build your faith. And my purpose for sharing a little bit of my life with you is not because I think I'm anything special, because I am not. I'm about as basic as you will ever find. And it's not because I think all of you have a call of full-time minister in your life. That's not the purpose of this message this morning. These are just a few experiences from my personal life when God did things because I believed in him and because I trusted him and because I was obedient to those things that he called me to do. I share this because I'm still on the greatest adventure of my life, as is anyone who is willing to believe that with God, all things are possible. So when I took that step of faith, thank you. So when I took that step of faith and I answered God's call into ministry, it opened up a whole new door for me in my life. And it led me into several ministries that I was asked to launch at Phoenix First, Assem Phoenix First Assembly. And each one of them prepared me for something greater. And that greater thing is what led us here to High Point Assembly in Red Bluff, California, nine and a half years ago. And I praise God that he is continuing to do great things in my life and in our ministry here. And God has so many more great things in store for us. Don't you ever, ever doubt it. You see, I happen to think that a personal relationship with Jesus is the greatest thing to ever come down the pike. And whenever I have an opportunity to share my faith with someone on a personal level, I will often use that word, perhaps. Perhaps God can do something extraordinary in your life if you give him the opportunity. This is what he did for me. Perhaps he will do something similar in your life. And you will find that the Lord is good, that he is faithful, and that he loves you unconditionally and so deeply. You know, a lot of people out there they're just great people, but they don't know that God loves them. They've never sat down and had a conversation with somebody who could tell them firsthand that Jesus loves them. They're stumbling around in the darkness. They don't know that Jesus paid the price for their sin. And I know many of you, while you've been sharing your faith, you've come across some hard cases. They said, I don't, I don't want you to talk to me about that anymore. But don't let that discourage you. You see, it's pretty hard to give up on somebody when you think of that little phrase from David's lips, perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me. Perhaps a week from now, God might answer the prayer and melt that hardened heart. 
Perhaps three months from now, that guy might just accept my invitation to come to church with me on a Sunday morning and give his life to Jesus. We never know how or when God is going to move in any kind of a situation. And we never know how God may use us in a situation. So if we keep our eyes focused on him and believe that all things are possible, guess what? They are. So what about you? Everyone in this place has a future. As long as you are breathing air, you have a future. So how are you walking into your future? What has God been nudging you to do that you've been putting off for years? Stay away. I hear you, but I don't really hear you. I'll get back to you later. I'm too busy at work. I'm too busy with my family. How am I going to possibly afford to do this? I can't do that. And you just keep telling the Lord to get away. You keep him at a distance. Some of you here today and some of you watching online, you're seekers. You've come right up to the point of trusting in Jesus and about ready to invite him into your heart. But then what happens is you start painting those worst case scenarios in your mind. You think if I do this, there goes my freedom. All my fun is over. Time to put on the religious straight jacket. It's going to be awful. Can I just say to you this morning that that's not the way it is. I have experienced more freedom since I have turned my life over to Jesus Christ than I have had in my entire life. But I also want you to think of that word, perhaps. Someone defined insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting a different result. Some of you have been doing the same thing over and over and over again your whole life, the same predictable things. You continue on in the same relationships with people who always bring you down, and people who really don't give a dime for you, they act like they do, but they really don't deeply care for who you are. They don't want you to have a new kind of a life, and therefore, the results of your life always end up being the same. Defeat, discouragement, hopelessness, no promise for a future that's any different than where you are today. So perhaps, when you decide to finally give Jesus a chance, he might open doors and he might free your spirit. Perhaps he might just use your life and bless you in ways that you currently have no knowledge of. But how are you ever gonna find out unless you take that step of faith? If you keep spinning worst case scenarios, I can tell you without hesitation, you will never be fulfilled in this lifetime. So take that step of faith and see what God does have the guts to step across that line of faith and say, Jesus, I'm yours. Perhaps you've got something great in store for me. Some of you here today, you're closet Christians. What I mean by that is you bear the name of Jesus, but you just don't have the courage to step out and to live for him out loud. You just kind of, you're stealth. You're a stealth Christian. They can't pick you up on radar. You know what you believe, but nobody else knows what you believe. You don't take a stand when Jesus wants you to take a stand. You don't exhibit boldness or strength or the love that he wants you to, to, uh, to, to, to exhibit to the world out there. You're afraid of what other people might think of you. You're afraid of crossing over and being perceived as a Jesus freak or something. Second Chronicles 16.9 says this, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. God is looking for men and women who will get real. He's looking for people who will be fully committed to him so that he can accomplish unbelievable things, extraordinary things through them. It's time for you and I 
to get out of our comfort zone. It's time to remove the safety net that you've always relied upon called blending in and take that leap of faith to follow the Holy Spirit's prompting to go God's way and do what he's been asking you to do, to serve, to get involved, to make a difference for Christ in this world and in your family and in those around you because it's gonna open up a whole new world for you unlike anything else, a life like you have not experienced before and it will ignite something inside of you. You just haven't had the guts to do it. Perhaps... God may be unbelievably gracious to you. In fact, I know he will be when he sees your step of faith. And you may very well experience a journey that will come to define the rest of your life. Some of you here today, you're Christians. You are followers of Jesus, but you haven't yet grasped the truth that with God, all things are possible. Some issues in your life seems so big that you doubt that God has the ability to help you in that area. And because of doubt, you just quit asking. You quit praying about it. You've decided what the answer is already going to be. Or in some cases, you felt God was leading you to go into a different direction spiritually, but you've resisted out of fear of where it is that he might take you because you're uncomfortable. Or maybe he has given you a burden to start or to lead or to participate in a particular ministry that you know you are gifted in, that you know deep down in your heart that you would excel in, and your disbelief or your fear is keeping you in a holding pattern. And that holding pattern, pattern does nothing but continue to keep you feeling unfulfilled and you're missing out. Well, can I just say that perhaps the Lord may be gracious to you. Perhaps God might be asking you to step out in faith because he has something in store for you that is literally unprecedented. Because here's the deal, folks. God knows. He wants the best for you. He wants you to live in his fullness. He wants you to boldly walk hand in hand with him in this journey of Christianity. He knows what he is offering you is so much better than anything you could have ever created on your own. Things that you've done through your own efforts. The life he provides you is the very best life possible. It's a freedom like you have never experienced before. He doesn't want you to simply bide your time and wait until you die or wait until the rapture takes place. He wants to give you a greater purpose and a reason to get out of bed every single morning. It's a life full of possibilities that, that appear on the horizon to you every single day. And guess what? He will meet every need along the way of that journey. And when he offers it to you, he will always bring great satisfaction and fulfillment that cannot come to you in any other way. And believe me when I tell you that his plan for your life is greater than what your plan is. It will bring things that you never dreamed would come into your life. So will you trust him? Will you start believing that with God, not some things are impossible, not a few things are impossible, but all things are possible? I pray that you will. Scott, will you come forward? Help me to close this down. Listen, when you get to the end of your life and you were steering death right in the face, let me tell you what you're not going to glory in. It won't be your net worth. It won't be your social standing. It won't be all the toys that you've accumulated or your trophies. None of that's going to matter. In those final moments, when you, you finally and utterly become aware of the fact that Jesus Christ died for you on the cross and you're going to go to heaven, you will be flooded with feelings of gratefulness for every attempt that you made throughout your lifetime to serve the Lord faithfully. You'll be glad for every effort you ever made to further the kingdom of God here on this earth, for every time you allowed yourself 
to be used by him in ways that you didn't think you could be used by him. You'll be so glad for every investment that you made into another human being. For every time you reached out and you tried to take the hand that was disconnected from God and connected with God's hand. And you'll also grieve over the many times that you simply played it safe. The times that you didn't allow God to use you in greater ways. The door was wide open, but you chose to walk away from it. You see, when you are staring death in the face, you'll be aware of the fact that the only thing that goes from this side to the other side is people. Your house doesn't go, your truck doesn't go, your position, your achievements, none of that goes to the other side. Only people do. It's all about people, as frustrating as they can be. So love people, serve people, share the love of Christ with people, even hardcore cases. Why? Because perhaps your next prayer or your next reaching out to that hand to try to connect it with Jesus, you will be successful in connecting them with God. Would you all please stand to your feet, please? I wanna open this altar this morning because many of you have been challenged by this message. You want more. You've, uh, you wanna be challenged. You're not happy with the cocoon of the comfort zone that you are currently living in. You know that there's more out there for you to accomplish for God's purposes. You just kind of been paralyzed where you're at right now and you're becoming more aware each and every day of just how close we are to Jesus' return. And God is looking for us now more than ever to step up in faith and trust him. He wants us to take bold steps of faith, understanding that perhaps God may use you and God may use me in ways that we never ever dreamed. Some of you have never given your life to Jesus. You've never accepted his free gift of salvation. This is where it all starts. Because when you are obedient in that decision, that is when God will open up even more doors for you and stretch you spiritually in greater ways. There is nothing more boring or unsatisfying than having salvation and now allowing God to use you in some fruitful way. It is in the labor of the kingdom where the greatest levels of the satisfaction of your Christian walk will come from. So if God has been speaking to you this morning, if you've been challenged by what you hear, you've heard, if this Holy Spirit has been reminding you of things that you're not currently doing, I want you to come and I want you to come to this altar and spend some time with the Lord and seek clarity from him. If you've never received salvation, if you've never placed your life in the hands of Jesus, you can do so today. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And it goes on, it says, for with your heart, you, are believe, you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you are confessed, that you confess and that you are saved. So you must simply recognize Jesus as the Son of God, the one who died on the cross, whose blood that was shed atones or covers your sin. You must believe that Jesus rose from the dead with resurrection power. And it's that same resurrection power that saves you now. That's what the believing in your heart part of that scripture is. And then when you pray these things, that's the confession part of that scripture. You ask him to forgive you of your sin. You invite him, lordship over your life. And when you do this with sincerity of heart, you'll receive salvation and you will become a child of God. Maybe you're here today and you're not well physically. You need a touch from the Lord. Come down to this altar, seek him. He is the great physician. Maybe you have a need of some kind and you don't know how that need's gonna be met. It seems impossible to you. You just don't have a solution. Well, maybe God does. Perhaps God has your solution. So come to this altar and seek him. Whatever you need, you can find it down here. Seek the Lord and he will be found and he will help you. While the worship team sings, you can come down and pray. 
If you're not going to come to this altar, please pray for those who are down here like it was your own child. Pastors are going to come. We're going to lay hands on you and pray for you. And then we will close this service. Oh, to Jesus I surrender to him I freely I will ever love and trust you his presence
Church, I believe that our work is cut out for us. We can't play it safe anymore. We just can't. We gotta put the pedal to the metal. If we truly believe that Christ is coming, which I do, then we can't recoil. We have to ramp up our efforts. We gotta do everything we can because lives are in the balance. There are people who work with you, people who live with you, who are going to hell if they don't know Jesus. And we've gotta get our act together and we've gotta say, Jesus, I surrender to you and I ask you to use me and this is gonna be different. It's gonna be things I've never done before, but God, I am willing to be obedient and I'm willing to allow you to use me in whatever way that looks. And perhaps you will see things like you've never seen before in your life. The truth is that word perhaps to me has doubt in it if you think about it. Because in my mind, perhaps means God will show you things that you've never seen before. God will use you in ways that you cannot believe. And you will receive such fulfillment from being obedient to him. It's an amazing thing when you're in God's divine will and you're doing more than just existing, but you're serving him and you're utilizing your gifts and your talents for the kingdom of God. That's where real growth comes from. That's where real satisfaction comes from in your Christian journey. It's just not all about feeling good about being a Christian. It's about God using you. And you talk about a rush of feelings that come over you. When God uses you, there's nothing like it. It's the greatest thing you'll ever experience. And if you've never led someone to the Lord, that is one of the greatest experiences you'll ever have. It's a beautiful thing. Basically, you, you've just taken someone's hand and you pulled them out of the pit of hell. This is life and death. And I don't want us to become a comfortable church. In fact, if you want to attend a comfortable church, this probably isn't where you're going to want to attend. Because we're going to ask things of you. We're going to do things. We're going to plan events. And we need your help. We got activities coming up. We got a mega sports camp. We need you to step up and go to a meeting and say, hey, I'm interested in helping out. We're gonna have a 4th of July event for our community. You, you may say, well, what do those things do? Those things show that Christians are loving people. Those things show that we aren't what the world thinks we are. That we love you, we care about you, we care about your family. We want you to find a home here with our family. That takes every one of us. That's not just the staff, that's not the five of us. It's all of us, we've got to give in. We've got to get involved, we've got to get our hands dirty. I don't care how young you are, I don't care how old you are, or what you are in between. God has a plan and a purpose for you, and he will use you. Don't listen to that voice inside your head. You've been listening to it far too long. That is not the voice of truth. That is the voice of self that is driven by the enemy to lead you to believe that you cannot amount to anything in Christ Jesus, and that is a lie from the pits of hell. No one who has ever trusted the Lord and stepped out in faith has been disappointed by what he has done in their life. And so I want to encourage you to open up your heart and open up your mind and get involved. Don't sit on the fringe any longer. Get in the soup. Get in it with us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. What a beautiful day you've given us. I thank you for the presence of your spirit, Lord, not only in us, but in this place. I thank you that you are a God of the extraordinary, that you are a God who heals, that you are a God who wins, that you are a God of miracles, that you can accomplish things that we could never do on our own, that we can only dream of doing, and that you can use feeble people like me and something good can come out of my life. That's how you operate. And I thank you for that. And I pray that everyone in this place would take this message to heart, would have an honest conversation with you this week and say, God, what is it you want from me? And not just ask that question, Lord, but take the time to listen, that they would listen to what you're going to say to them. And most importantly, that they would act upon it. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the great commission that you've called us to accomplish. Help us to be diligent workers in the commission that you've given to us. And Father, as we go our separate ways today, I pray that your Holy Spirit would go with us, guiding and directing the steps that we take, the places that we go, the things that we do. 
pray that the conversations that we have would be designed to build people up and not tear them down. Pray that we would be bright lights in a very dark world and that brightness comes from the love of Christ that is in us. Father, I pray that we would shine so brightly that people would come to us and say, what is it about you that is different? Because you're not like the rest of the people I hang around with. And Father, when you open that door, that we would walk through it, we would start sharing your goodness and telling them how perhaps God might do something incredible in their life. I pray for a holy encounter this week for every one of us, that we would all have one person walk into our path this week where we can share your goodness with them and we can invite them to come to church so that they can come to know you in a real and a personal way. Till we gather together again next week, I pray you'll keep us safe from sickness, disease, illness. Keep us safe from any accidents that might befall us. And Father, as we leave here today, I pray that we would go in love and we would exhibit it to the world around us. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here.